the Cybersecurity and Compliance Podcast with Craig Petronella. Learn about the most current IT security threats in ransomware, phishing, business email compromise, cybercrime tactics, cyber heist schemes, social engineering scams, as well as hints and tips from leading professionals to help you prevent hackers from penetrating your network and dropping ransomware or malware payloads. This podcast will arm you with the best info to defend your network against the latest cyber crimes. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And now, here's your host, Craig Petronella. Welcome to today's PTG podcast, where we talk about the latest breaking cyber news. And I was just reading where it says that it looks like Russia is laying the groundwork for cyber attacks on U.S. infrastructure. Yep. So I know yesterday we were talking, I was like, oh, I wonder if they're going to hit small companies. But really, again, looking at Colonial Pipeline, they could hit just about anything. I don't know if you saw this, but there was already some evidence of scans uh, against, I think, the top five energy companies in the United States. No, I didn't see that. Yep. The FBI reported that they literally have proof that they scan the systems for software vulnerabilities, which again is why we so strongly suggest using the right tools because even when vulnerabilities are found in software, there's tools that can help to prevent exploit even in the presence of vulnerability because some of these software tools are very intelligent. Yeah. It's really astonishing. While we do know that right now there's not a silver bullet, although we may be getting close to it, there's so many advancements happening in quantum computing. That last night I was up just literally jaw to the floor. Some of these advancements are just groundbreaking. But while we don't have a silver bullet right now, it's really shocking to see that such critical places as our power grids and things like that, that our nation relies so heavily upon not using the best tools available. That is really shocking. The best tools available right now, we know what they are and they're not using them. I feel like a lot of it is relationships versus common sense sense almost. So it's if they have existing relationships with vendors, even if it's not the right choice. We've worked with some people too that were maybe a little behind the times. It seems like a lot of things that are government related are really behind. You start attracting all the red tape and all that. And then you don't have the swift ability to act, the mobility and the agility that's required to stay aligned with the cutting edge and to keep yourself protected. You start to fall behind. I think it's similar to medical too, where a lot of those systems are, they have big control systems and they're probably using outdated, sadly, probably Microsoft's Windows operating systems that are outdated. Gosh, they're probably still using Windows XP in certain situations. (laughs) You'd be surprised the statistics of people still using ancient operating systems like that. And I think the big picture here is that you just can't connect those things to the internet and give them free reign when there's so many security holes there. And that's why, like BJ was saying with the XDR, that's a nice layer, not going to protect against everything, but at least it's a more effective solution at detecting exploitation of some of these weaknesses and visibility. And then certain situations, you might not be able to patch a SCADA system, for example, but at least you have that SOC. And first of all, you have the technology and then you have a SOC or 24-7 security operations center, U.S.-based background checked cybersecurity engineers watching over everything 24-7. At least you ha- if you have that type of solution in place, that's going to significantly reduce the odds of a breach. It's not going to protect against everything or all situations. But like I saw yesterday, there was Microsoft reported a, a huge OAuth breach. A what breach? 
It's called OAuth, OAuth. And basically, have you ever logged into a website and it says, instead of creating an account, log in with Google or Facebook or something like that? Yes. Yeah. So that's what OAuth is, that middleware that allows you to skip the account creation process by granting access to one of the things that your username and password for one of the other platforms and then authorizing it by API. Okay. So that was breached and that was confirmed yesterday. This is a perfect example of something like XDR. This would be out of scope, right? So that's on a cloud hosted, probably a big provider like Microsoft. You and I are not going to have access to their security, right? Explain that for a second though, please, Craig, because that's becoming very prevalent on the web. You see that with a lot of sites now where you can log in with Google or Facebook or Apple even. And so whose technology is that? And is it centralized? What is the vulnerability there? No, I think it's an open source middleware layer that that typically uses what's called API technology to link two systems together. And it basically more rapidly allows for user creation and onboarding. Instead of you creating a unique username and password, you would reuse your Facebook login or your Gmail login, for example. But is that technology owned by the same place and reused by all these different apps that use it? Or is it different at all the places it's used? Or No, I think it is centralized. I'd have to research it to know for sure, but I'm pretty sure that it's a centralized layer, almost like a Microsoft that came out with it. It might be open source, though. Again, I'd have to research it. All I know is that it's a middleware kind of software that allows the user to bypass the unique credential creation on the site by leveraging. I never used to like it, to be honest with you. I've really not used that function before because I always thought if they get breached, then, you know, that's a problem. And then here we are. They got breached yesterday. Wow. I've been seeing an uptick in the presence of that API. I used to see it once in a while, and now I see it on almost every platform I use. Almost every platform offers me to log in that way. I've thought about that. I'm like, okay, do you want to use this? Do you want this to use Facebook or whatever? And I'm like, yeah. Then I'm like, how does this work? I've never actually looked into it. I use it all the time personally because I've been seeing it so much lately. And it's so convenient because, gosh, that account creation step is such a hassle. It's just so tiresome to do it over and over again. Like, here we go with the convenience versus security thing. We'll have to do some research and see whose technology is it. And is it one piece of technology that's being used over and over again by lots of different platforms? Yeah. Again, I'd have to research it to know for sure. I don't know if the breach was associated with just the OAuth layer itself or was OAuth with Microsoft or OAuth with Google. I don't know if all of the systems were breached. I just know that prior to yesterday, I knew there were some vulnerabilities and risks there. But then I saw the news yesterday that there was a breach. So let me see here. Lapsus, L-A-P-S-U-S dollar sign, Lapsus Hacking Group breached Microsoft and authentication firm Okta. The company is called Okta, so it looks like that's one single company. It must be centralized, one centralized company. So also big news yesterday was the Greek public postal system was hit with ransomware and their services were offline. So literally people were not getting mail, I guess. Their public postal service was offline. Yeah, I saw that. I'm going to share my screen here and I'll show you. Can you see that? Yes. So this is right on Okta.com's website. This is their statement. They're looking to do a thorough investigation about the hacker group. So it says that a small percentage of customers, approximately 2.5% have been impacted and their data may have been viewed or acted upon. So they have a breach. It looks like their initial investigation says it's 2.5%. They'll have to do their forensics to figure out if it was really more than that or not. We know just from how breaches work that what the initial picture looks like is not always accurate. What's strange, though, is they go over here and say Okta service has not been breached and remains fully operational. 
So it's confusing. So was it breached or not? So it sounds like they're saying that a small portion of customers got breached, but not their technology somehow. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to study this some more. I think what they're saying is that only 2.5% of their customers were affected. But what's weird is they don't use the word breach there. And then they say here that it wasn't breached down here. So it's confusing. And so we'll have to just wait and see what the final report says. But other websites were saying that it was breached. So I don't know. It, it's early to tell. Yeah. I'm taking away from this and I could be wrong, of course, but it sounds to me almost like they were breached, but they don't necessarily know the extent of the breach because it says that they're looking into the claims that the hacker group breached them. So to me, it sounds like they don't know yet. They can probably say this with honesty, but it seems like it might be a little misleading. And maybe I'm being a little bit cynical. <laughs> But that's kind of what it sounds like to me. So if you pull up another website like here on CNN, it says Okta concedes hundreds of clients could be affected by breach. And then it says here on Wall Street Journal, this was an hour ago, Okta says hundreds of its customers may have been caught in a hack or in hack. Yeah, it says Okta has over 15,000 customers. So I'm guessing that's a lot of the platforms that we see that technology on. It seems very clear that they're scrambling to clarify what's going on. So there's not really a clear answer right now. Okay, so if you think about it, if they have hundreds of customers, how many credentials do all those hundreds of customers have? It's almost like they're trying to minimize the impact of it. So if one of those is Facebook or whatever, it could be millions. That's a good point because they're mentioning 15,000 customers. So a lateral movement on a system like that, when you have 15,000 platforms that have millions of customers, the lateral movements that we know are so common in breaches. Now, I'm no mathematician, but that sounds exponential to me. <laughs> Microsoft confirmed that the Lapsus extortion-focused hacking crew has gained limited access to its systems as authentication services provider Okta revealed that nearly 2.5% of, of its customers have potentially been breached, and it sounds like Microsoft was one of them. A hacking crew has gained limited access to its systems. That's huge. Yeah. That's so interesting because not all things just seem to go in tandem because when I was talking when we first started today about the jaw-dropping advancements in quantum computing lately, they center around Microsoft. Microsoft has partnered with IonQ. They're really leading things in the quantum computing space with their trapped ion technology. That, that's what's going on Microsoft Azure. But also Microsoft has released a groundbreaking breakthrough that their team has made in regards to topological qubits. And that's really significant. And so it's interesting that now Microsoft, their systems have at least partially been breached. Like how interesting, how it goes in tandem. Isn't it also interesting that these big providers like Microsoft, and obviously they're in the cross hairs of the hackers because there's the bigger payday. Isn't it also interesting how people locked over to these platforms for cloud services, right? So a lot of customers, small, medium, and large enterprise have moved to the cloud and moved their information and their data to the cloud. And then now there's all these breaches that are happening. So it'd be interesting to learn and understand if there's going to be a push backwards to bring things back in-house for businesses on-premise opposed to cloud. And I always recommend that use encryption even when using a cloud service, because at least if you encrypt your data in the cloud and hackers breach the defenses of Microsoft, for example, then at least, again, it's a layered approach, right? So at least they would hit a, a encrypted payload. But it's just interesting that we're in this kind of dynamic where lots of companies for 
past decade or so have moved to the cloud because grass is greener in the cloud, a utility cost, it's cheaper. I don't have to buy expensive servers anymore. And then now I think you're going to see, I've already saw some data on this where companies are actually bringing the stuff back in house now and they're not doing cloud anymore. That's so interesting. And here's this guys, this was buried in an article way down deep. I find so many interesting things buried, right? Like taught us with the settings the other day. The interesting <laughs> tidbits are always buried. So I found an article last night. I have to mention that to you guys, but listen to this. It's buried in this article. This is from Cloudflare is saying this. Of particular concern is that the breach hadn't been reported for the last two months. So this is not new. This is only being talked about now. It happened two months ago. So they've had two months of dwell time now, this lapses. And of particular concern to me reading this, is that it says Microsoft described Lapsus as a group following pure extortion and destruction model without deploying ransomware payloads. So this sounds more an attack just seeking to destroy. They're not asking for ransoms. They're just trying to destroy. So when that happens, then when we start thinking state actors and, and things of that nature. But listen to this. I read an article last night and the headlines were totally misleading. The headlines of the article said that hackers and especially foreign threat hackers are now focusing on the financial system and the AIs in the financial system. But when you dig into the article and start reading it, there's actually a term for it now. It's called machine learning security, because I guess some of the AI machine learning models that especially are used in the financial sector, those models are very vulnerable. Because this is an evolving field. And so the machine learning models are vulnerable to cyber attack. And so I guess some of the state actors are actively looking to exploit the machine learning models used in the financial sector. And here's the tidbit that was hidden at the bottom. The real concern here is that they're worried that they could exploit vulnerabilities in these financial machine learning models and cause them to believe certain things to be true and cause it to affect pricing on the stock markets. The, the algorithms that decide the pricing models. Well, I think kind of sheds more light on is the need for code review of the coding layer of the machine learning. In this case, there needs to be annual or quarterly code reviews. So the language that's chosen, Python, for example, is popular in AI and ML. But the point is that if you're not vetting and testing the code, how do you know what's really in there? It's what I've said for a long time. Like when you buy products off the shelf, you don't know if there's hidden back doors. And their techniques that they use, those heavy DDoS techniques. And we know that they became very good at social media profiles, mass amounts of fake profiles. That's the concern with the financial machine learning models, that they can produce these high level of inaccurate profiles and information, and they can cause the actual machine learning algorithms models to make decisions contrary to what the financial system wants them to make based on their coding, but they're making these decisions based on the high level of inaccurate information they're being fed by the hacking teams. And so literally, we're talking about a possible upheaval of a financial system because if the stock markets were to be affected by these machine learning models, what is the ramifications of that? Wow. Like we're talking about groundbreaking potential here. This is a possible upheaval of a whole system, possibly. That is huge. That's definitely crazy to think about, for sure. Could you imagine if some hackers changed the price to Microsoft or Google stock to a dollar, even if it was just for like an hour? And then if people bought it at that price, now they have supporting evidence that they paid a dollar for it or whatever. How do you fix that? <laughs> yeah, right. The algorithm didn't go down. It just made a decision. I think it was six months ago where it was a glitch in the crypto system. I think it was on Coinbase. And it, it said that I was a trillionaire or something. Listen, yesterday, my baby started playing this game on his fire tablet. He's two years old. He's going to be three. And this is the one that calls himself Dot Code Dragon. He was playing this game called Subway Surfer. You guys probably heard of it. 
I'm not a gamer, but it's a very popular game. And you have to buy tokens with actual cash. You buy tokens. Some glitch happened in his tablet and he has 10 trillion tokens. My daughter, she's beside herself. She's, oh my God. And she won't give his tablet back because she bought everything. And he's some glitch has awarded my baby 10 trillion tokens on this game. And she's a big gamer. And she's like, that's impossible. I've never seen that before. He's got everything you can possibly have in this game now. <laughs> you better check and make sure that he didn't accidentally find a way to buy. All the- <laughs> it would have been denied. Now I'm just hoping the same glitch happens to my crypto wallets. Right? <laughs> or maybe the AI will get into the stock market. Everything yeah. will go down and we'll be all be trillionaires. Yeah, I posted an article to you guys in the chat this morning about some big crypto analysts are predicting that crypto, Bitcoin and altcoins is going to go parabolic in April. When you really look at all this, they're worried about the financial models being manipulated. And then you have a possible crypto bull run coming because we've been expecting it. Everybody thought it was coming last summer and definitely by the winter. It didn't come. Maybe there was who knows what was going on behind the scenes, right? But it seems like now there's a lot of chatter about it. And then you have the inflation. You have all the stuff. Even Tesla raised their prices on their satellite internet recently, SpaceX, because of inflation. And we've seen evidence of of this happening with cash. And then now you have top of the bull run with crypto and you have risk of financial models making decisions based off whatever data they're being fed by bad actors. Are we on the verge of a perfect storm here? Oh my gosh, if I can find it quick enough, I'll read to you what Microsoft didn't post this very publicly, but they sure did put it on their research blog about this advancement, right? Okay, here it is about their topological qubits. This is a major breakthrough. And they say on their blog from Microsoft, we believe ultimately it will power a fully scalable quantum machine in the future, which will in turn enable us to realize the full promise of quantum to solve the most complex and pressing challenges our society faces. This is major one. It's very interesting, but it sounds like they might need the help of their quantum machine to deal with their possible that has happened with the I guess there's no time like the present for their machine to rise up and help. And Craig, I told BJ when we talked a little bit this morning and I told her that if Bitcoin or crypto did take off and I do become a millionaire, I'll stay working for you. Oh, thanks. (laughs) If we could do podcasts every day, we could keep doing this every day. And my boyfriend can just go build a boat somewhere. Life would be great. Last year, Craig and I spent a lot of time researching altcoins. And I, to this day, firmly believe that some of the decisions that were made were very smart. And and even though they haven't been fruitful yet, I don't think that changes the fact that they were very smart decisions because knowledge is power and research and digging deep into things yields good results. There was an article popped up this morning and it says that basically, and maybe this has something to do with people talking about crypto going parabolic next month, but there was this quiet article saying that internet computer coin, it's possibly the final layer to Web3 because it takes the reliance off of Web2 tech away because this internet computer blockchain, it ties all the Web3 blockchains together and makes them interoperable. And that's the internet computer. And we know that there's the SIA coin that has the decentralized storage in it actually running the most transactions of any blockchain per day. And it has the Skynet internet technology on it. And when you factor that with internet computer that ties all the blockchains together, you can see yesterday we were talking about the current tech, if you were to picture it as one entity, was a patched monster walking around on crutches. But then you look at what I just described there and you see something different, more like a quantum machine, possibly. 
So maybe it's all at the same hour, we have a possible crypto bull run because we have that final layer with the internet computer, which is currently down 98%. Just so everyone knows, <laughs> FYI, we don't get financial advice, but it is down 98%. <laughs> I just want to ask, do you have any advice that we can give our listeners as to what to do to protect against this OAuth right now? Yeah, what I would do is I would log in to any websites that you're using and change it. You can change it so that you can change your password and maybe create an account or set up a different email that's secondary. That's one way to, to mitigate the risk so it's not affecting you. There's so much more investigation that has to happen to see, but it could be too late, meaning you could be one of the 2.5%. You have to be one of the 2.5% as Microsoft was and who's not connected to Microsoft. That's where the numbers get tricky because Microsoft was part of the 2.5%, like everyone's part of Microsoft. I guess too, though, if that is the case, if their data is already stolen, that sucks, but maybe it's a good time to go and, like you said, update passwords, change the email addresses, things like that. Because if they steal your credentials, you're reusing the same password and login information, they can get into whatever they want. You're the perfect time to look at the right tools like STR, because like you pointed out, Craig, it doesn't have a protection for something like this. But what it does have is the ability to change its code every day and be coded to look for certain things. So once we know what this breach is doing, that algorithm will be coded to look for those things. Again, the XDR is the right way to go for this kind of stuff. Yeah, this is why I don't usually use something like that because let's give you an example. Let's say I go to a website and I don't create an account. Maybe I use Gmail and I click on, okay, use Gmail and skip the account creation process because it's faster and easier. The reason why I've never done it is if they have a breach, now they have my Gmail username and password. So I have multi-factor set up on all my property. So even if they got the username and password, they're going to get stopped by that layer, right? But it's still though, like you're trusting, it goes about how much do you trust each of the vendors that you're doing business with, or if you're not even doing business and you just use their service, you still have to give them a certain amount of trust. And quite frankly, with the world that we live in now and the threat land, I think we should move to more of a zero trust or a trustless methodology where Create an account on your own, go through the extra hoops and layers, use a unique username and password. Apple was recently took it a step further. They even create what's called burner emails. So you can actually never disclose your email address and create fake emails that are associated with yours. You can, as a consumer, be more stingy about the information that you give out and that'll better protect you too. Thank you for that. Yeah, let's wrap up here for today and then we can continue on tomorrow. Sounds good. You guys have a great day. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Cybersecurity and Compliance Podcast with Craig Petronella. For other episodes and more information, visit PetronellaTech.com. Also visit our other websites, ComplianceArmor.com and BlockchainSecurity.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Thanks for listening and stay secure.